Amen. It's good to see everybody this morning. Good crowd today. Welcome, everybody. My name is Andy John King. I'm the lead pastor here at Lindsay Lane. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, the book of Exodus. And hopefully on the way in, you have uh, received the elements of the Lord's Supper. I want to tell you this on the front because, y'all, we've not taken the Lord's Supper together on a Sunday morning in a long time. We've taken it a few different times on Wednesday nights, but uh, this is the first time in a long time we've taken it on a Sunday morning, and so this is not usually the way that we take it as far as passing these out before you come in. Um, I, I won't, we're not going to do the instructional video. I'm just going to kind of give a little mini presentation of how this works, okay? So the first part, you peel back and you've got the bread, and then there'll be a second part that you peel back and you'll have the juice. You would think I wouldn't have to do this, but I've experienced this enough now to where we need to make this distinction, okay? And you can wait to the end of the services. We'll take it together. Uh, we, this is probably not the most ideal way to take the Lord's Supper together, uh, but we're thankful that we can, amen? Thankful that we can uh, take it together this morning, and we look forward to uh, remembering uh, what Christ has done for us, and uh, we'll do that at the end of the service. Uh, before we do that, we're going to continue on in, in our sermon series called I Promise as we are looking at God's Old Testament covenants and how he related uh, to his people through those covenants as we make our way to the new covenant. Last week, we discussed God's promise to purposefully provide salvation to the entire world, for the entire world, for the, the people spread across the globe. And he started that through one man, through Abraham. Well, today we're in Exodus. And, and when we get from Genesis to Exodus, God's promise was happening. God had promised that Abraham would have descendants. They would be as many as the stars in the sky. And so the, the promise of people began to happen, and the nation of Israel began to grow. And as they were growing, God's glory was beginning to, to spread as, as this was the people of God. But, but there were other people groups of the world. If you remember uh, back at the Tower of Babel, as people spread all over the world, there were other people groups that were also starting to grow. One of those you may have heard of. Was, was the Egyptian empire. Egypt began to grow as well. And so the Bible and history confirms that as Israel was growing and Egypt was growing, Egypt saw fit to stop the influence of Israel and make all of Israel their slaves. Now, that's what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. But God already knew that because he told Abraham that back in Genesis. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 15? Verses 13 through 14, your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, and they'll be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. You're going to hear this a lot today, but once again, that's God making a way where there is no way. This is God doing the impossible because nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Nothing is impossible with God. The nation of Israel cries out to God. God hears them. God displays his power, supernatural power, over what would be considered one of the most powerful empires the world has ever seen. The people of the Egyptian empire saw Pharaoh as a god, but upside real god, he's not anything at all. And God wiped them out as he freed his people from Egypt because God makes promises and he keeps them. He keeps his promises, and God is going to once again use one man to redeem, and that man this time is Moses. Now, in Exodus chapter 19, we are two months removed from God telling a world power, that's enough, I've had enough, and I'm going to save my children. And, and we've had 
two months now removed from Genesis to Exodus where his people are moving towards the land of promise. And in doing so, God is going to establish a covenant with Moses now. He is going to establish an agreement with Moses and the people of Israel because a covenant is experienced between two parties that have a relationship. And if God's promise to Abraham was to make Israel into a great nation for the good of the rest of the world, what God's promise to Moses is, is he is going to define Israel as a holy nation and separate them from the rest of the world. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. God is not separating his people from the rest of the world so that they don't reach the world. God is setting, his side, setting aside his people and identifying them with who he is so that through them, the rest of the world would know that there is a one true God and he is holy. And that's what God is doing in the Mosaic Covenant. And as we get into Exodus chapter 19, the first thing you're going to see is the terms. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the, all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now, this part of the covenant is conditional. Conditional where it says, now, if you will obey me. A couple of weeks ago, maybe it's been two or three weeks ago, we served in the children's building. We, we served in the, the nursery, the four-year-olds, which was awesome. And then we went upstairs, and we led children's church, uh, and, and it was a crowd of kids in there. And I've told everybody that, that with our experience, I've had an experience truly that I'll continue to sell. That's a good work over there in that building. Are you hearing me? We are preaching the truth, teaching the gospel. Children are engaged. Children are being saved. That's a work that we need you to help work with. But while we were there in children's church, we are going through Leviticus or a passage of Scripture in Leviticus, and it starts out about the same way that this one does, which is, if you do this, God says, if you do this, then I will do this. I stopped and I asked the children there that day, I said, what does that word if mean when God says, if you do this, I will do this? And a young man in the back raised his hand confidently, and he, this is what he said, one word, he said, maybe. And that's exactly right. Maybe, maybe not. If you do what God says, he will bless you. Maybe, maybe not. If you don't, he won't. That's what we're looking at when there's a conditional covenant. Obedience is always blessed. Are you hearing me? If we are obedient to God, God will bless. Now, a lot of times we're looking for blessing on our own terms, but it's how God sets it. But God will purposefully provide and protect those who adhere to his standards, who come to him on his terms, that will obey when he says do this, that will not do it if he says don't. God will keep his promises. But on our end, it's maybe, maybe not. If you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Y'all, we know this. If we've not been obedient, we sure don't feel like a priest when we skip on it in there on Sunday mornings, do we? We don't feel like a holy nation if we've not been obedient. But if we are, if we have been obedient, then God will use us to be this holy priest, this person that points people to God, 
this person that represents the character of God, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now, what I want you to understand this morning is that this is an agreement between two in a relationship, but this is not an agreement between friends. I want you to hear me clearly. The Bible says we are friends of God if we are in Christ. Amen? We sing the song, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Well, that ain't all he calls you. We don't sing a song called I am a slave of God, even though that's biblical too. We are a child of God. And amen to that. But being a child of God means that we are underneath the leadership of Father God. So what you've got here is you've got an agreement between two parties, but one of those is the master and the other is the minion. One of those is the overlord, the other is the underling. Now, now wait, are you telling me that God freed a people that was slaves to a master only so that they would become slaves again to him? So that they would become servants and subject to his rule? He freed them so that they would once again become slaves to him? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You see, here's the thing, something we have to understand here. When, when a master is applied to a human being, it will always have negative connotations because no man is to be a master of another man. No man is to be a master of anyone. The, the reason for that is because we can't do it like God can do it. But for God, who is completely good and who is without wickedness and who is full of light, for God to be your master is the best thing that will ever happen to you. For God is holy. He knows what's ahead. He knows what is best. He will take care of you for his glory and for your good. So when we use master in this light, as it applies to God, this is the best thing that we could ever do is just to subject ourselves to the lordship and leadership of Almighty God. The Scripture says in Romans six twenty two, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Best thing any of us can do is to submit to God on His terms. What that looks like daily is for us to open up that Bible and what we see for us, a command to obey, a promise to keep, an example to follow, we do it. Submission unto God. Terms is what it's all about. God relates on His terms. God has made promises to Israel, but these promises of blessing, which were greatness and land and protection and purpose, for all of those things to be enjoyed, there must be a submission to God on His terms. See, this is where we get the Old Testament law. Now, let's have Bible study for a minute. We bring up the law a lot. You see that in the New Testament. What's that about? God, in order to establish relationship with his people, establishes the law, beginning with the Ten Commandments and then extending through the next 11 chapters right after that in Exodus. God identifies with his people Israel by giving them terms to meet, rules to follow, because it is through Israel that they will be a blessing to the world. God is going to represent who he is. Through Israel, and in order for him to do that, he's got to set terms because he's holy and we're not. And that's what God is doing through the Mosaic Covenant. Now, notice the last part of chapter 19, verse 5. God says, for all the earth belongs to me. Only by living according to the terms of that covenant could they receive blessing while also being a blessing to the rest of the world. 
as a child, my, my parents, both of them worked full time. My sister and I, we, we grew up in our home and, and we went to school. We went to church. We played ball. We had a full schedule just like everybody else does now. And, and I remember our, our parents, as we were getting older and we could help more, them giving us more responsibility in the house which meant that mom and dad were going to put before us a to-do list on Saturday morning sometimes. There was also sometimes a list of, you got to get this done before you go to school. you got to get this done when you get home. If y'all want to do this on the weekend, this has got to be done before you leave. These were their terms. Because we were in a relationship with my mother and father, and because it was a master and minion and they had authority, they set the terms. Now, a lot of times these terms went against what we felt. Truth is, every time I saw a to-do list, I didn't want to do it at all within my feelings. But the truth is, is that these terms were not without blessing. These terms were not without blessing. We had lights on. We had running water. We had food. We had shelter. Our parents protected us, provided for us. They set us up to be successful. Now, in order for us to have that keep going on in our life, we had to be obedient to their terms because they were up here, we were down here. That's how it is with God. God is Father God, Master, Lord. He sets the terms. In order for us to be blessed, we abide by what He says, regardless of what we feel. In our church today, in our church and in every church, the preaching needs to go to the church because a lot of times what God says in here as we are his people, goes against the way that we feel. And for some reason, we think that our feelings supersede the terms of the master. We're going to take what we feel and what God has said, if his terms don't line up with how we feel, we're going to do whatever we want to do. Now, how does that work? We may do that, and if we do that, God won't bless disobedience, and we might need to start calling ourselves something else because we're not children of God because we're not doing what children do. So God sets the terms, and he's done this here in the Scriptures. And the application, again, is church, when we think of a relationship with God, I want us to think of being friends with God because that's what the Scripture says. He looks out for us. He's loyal to us as friends are. But church, when we think of a right relationship with God, we must know that part of that relationship is submission, and it's a big part. What God says to do, do it. Because we represent His holiness in the world. God is who He is, and because we are who we are, we are to represent His interest and His will, because His will will be done. Now, that's the terms. Let's look at the tension. In Exodus chapter 34, Exodus chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. I'll read this to you. <clears throat> Exodus 34, 11 through 16. The Bible says, But listen carefully to everything I command you today. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. Then, if he says, Be careful, be, listen careful to everything I've commanded you today, then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, this is one of those places in Scripture where I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or not, but you don't either, so we're all good, all right? <laughs> Verse 12, be very careful never to make a treaty. Now, I want you to pay attention to this part. Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. Remember, God had promised them Canaan. He promised them the promised land. 
If you do make a treaty, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Did you notice that God says, you're going to do it. If you make a treaty with them, you will be trapped. Instead, in verse 13, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles, and you must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you'll go with them. Then you will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. Lord, take us the rest of the way and make it plain in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, God is reaffirming his promise. God has has made a covenant with his people, his promise to his people. And in chapter 34, this reaffirmation includes an imperative. An imperative is that word which means you've got to do it or you've not got to do it, right? And this imperative is never make a treaty with the people who are in the land where you are going. Now, over time, there would be the temptation to make a treaty with other people because there would be tension. There would be tension. Now, I want you to catch this before we go further in the interpretation. When there is tension, there is temptation. When there is tension in our life of any kind, there is temptation. Temptation for what? Temptation to bail. Temptation to quit. Temptation to compromise. Temptation to cheat. Temptation to leave. Temptation to self-medicate. Temptation to waver, doubt, and abandon all that you believe is true. Why? Because you're uncomfortable and uncertain. When we are uncomfortable and we are uncertain, we are certainly tempted to bail, to waver, to quit, to do all these things. Because when tension is presented, the devil works in that for temptation. In this case, God knew that as the people of Israel were moving towards the land that he had given them, other people groups were not going to just lay down and die. They were going to resist. And when they resisted, there was tension. And the people of God, just like we do, began to go, Boy, I hope he pulls through. I hope things work out. What about my family? I'm nervous. There's war. There's tension. And so when this resistance created tension, God's people would be tempted to doubt God. And in their doubt that God would make a way, they would make a treaty. they just compromise. Instead of letting God fight our battles, as we sung about, they would make a treaty with godless people who had godless ideas. Just why? Just so that the trouble would go away. We'll compromise and cross the aisle just so that the tension is not there anymore and there's not this awkwardness, or just so that we can make sure that we're safe, we'll give up all that we believe just so that we'll be okay. Because when there's tension, there's temptation because there's uncertainty and it's uncomfortable. You see, if they made a treaty, though, God knew, if they made a treaty that they would open the door wide open for godless people, godless ideas, rival influences, they, these people would invite them to follow 
different gods who did not exist. False way of living according to the truth. And in verse 15, this is what God says. If you don't start knocking all that influence out and trust me the whole way, the Bible says in verse 15, you'll go with them. He knows us, doesn't he? Doesn't God know us? You'll go with them. I know you will. Parents, don't we know that about our kids? All right, fine. I'm going to let you do this, but I know what's going to happen. You know what happens? What we thought was going to happen. Because we know. God knows this. If you leave that door open, you sign a treaty trusting in another godless nation to do for you what I promised to do for you, then you will become something you're not supposed to. My covenant with you, Moses, and the people of Israel is for my holiness to be represented through you on my terms. But when there's tension, there's temptation. For them to make a treaty would mean they sought help outside of God. And God, as it says in verse 14, is jealous. His very name is jealous, and rightfully so. For God to be jealous, because if jealousy is a resentment for a rival, and God has no rivals, then he is rightfully jealous. His jealousy is, is just. I want you to hear this. Make no mistake, God is not jealous of other people. God is jealous for his people. There's a difference in that. I didn't do much farming growing up because... I'm here right now. I couldn't do it. I wasn't smart enough. I, I couldn't do it. But in the little farming experience I had, my uncle taught me about things that had to do with the crops and the weeds. The crops in the ground were purposed by the farmer. The weeds took the nutrients and the sunlight and the rain. It competed for that. That was meant for the crops. So farmers hated weeds because they were taking from the crop, which was meant for the crop. And so they would spray, and they would pull them up, and they would work at this all the time. Don't miss this, though. Farmers were not jealous of the weeds. Farmers are jealous for the crop. Farmers want all that is meant for the crop to be for the crop and for the crop to take it in, so that it would grow and become all that it's purpose to be. Because the crop represents what? The farmer. Now, y'all, Christians, we got cotton plants can't do anything about where they are and the weeds that surround them. But we can. Christians, if there are rival influences in your life that are manipula manipulating you away from the truth, that cotton crop can't do anything about it for itself. But you can. You got to turn it off. You got to take it down. You got you to stand over it. Your influence has to be over that. God's influence has to be over it. Why? Because if you leave those people, places, channels, everything on the screen, if you leave that around, God knows in the weakness of our flesh, you'll do it. You'll go that way. Twice it said in that passage of Scripture. If you leave it around, don't take it down, don't tear it down, don't blow right through it, you're going to be a part of it. And that's exactly what happened. Guys, we continue to do what Proverbs says. Proverbs says that in a, in a certain situation, is like scooping up coals of fire and putting it on your lap and expecting not to get burned. That's what we do with certain situations, relationships. 
at things that we're taking into our head. We've, we've become something over time, never thinking that we would, but we never close the door on it. It's a godless people with godless ideas. We're meant to reflect God's holiness in the world, but now it's becoming more of an influence on us than we are on it. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be holy then. Call the church to be holy now. Tear down the rival influences. Trust God to make a way. When tension comes and the temptation comes, you can either do one of two things. You can make a treaty or you can trust. You can trust God to make a way for you when you see that there is no way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight is what the word says. God was identifying his people before the world. A nation to represent his interest. Y'all, we're not to reflect the world, we're to reach it. Are you hearing me? We're not to reflect the world, we're to reach it. Don't miss that. Respect all people? Absolutely. Because that's what the Bible says. We are to respect all people. Respect other gods? What other gods? You catch them, Andrea? Respect all people? Yes. Respect other gods? There aren't any. There's the one true God. But listen, church, God has not called us to smash other people's altars anymore. He's not called us to get a chainsaw and start tearing down idols. He's called us to live in this world and light it up with the gospel and good works that go with it. He's called us to make disciples, to teach other people to obey the standard of Christ if they are saved. He's called us to preach the gospel so they can be saved. This is how God has called his church to represent who he is in the world now. All these things we talk about doing, all the work we do. If I see in the scripture that part of the last teaching of Jesus is for us to be his witnesses and to make disciples, we can have all this on our schedule. We want to, but at some point, y'all, we're going to start talking about how we're making disciples. Leave here today thinking, how am I part of helping someone understand the truth that we are accountable to God and that God wants us to go in a certain direction. We, as I understand it, we're going to answer for that. So that doesn't mean that we all become preachers tomorrow. Doesn't mean that we all become missionaries tomorrow. Doesn't mean we all become group leaders tomorrow. But y'all, it also means that it does. Some people have got to teach. The Bible, when the Scripture says, I say this all the time, When the Scripture says that not many of you should be teachers, it says many, not any. Did you know that God is still calling young men to be pastors of churches? God is still calling young women to raise up and lead other young women and be ministers in their churches, to be be leaders in their churches. Even though we see the Scripture as male with the overseer, and women leading in different responsibilities within the church, God's working on you too. God is working, and he's working towards these ends. We're not to reflect the world, we're to reach the world. To make disciples, be messengers of the good news. So at some point, y'all, we've got to start getting that done. And then have to start personally. Finally, the truth. <coughs> Again, God is identifying his people and setting the terms for identity and blessing. 
But the history of Israel proves what we already know about ourselves. We're a roller coaster when it comes to obedience, aren't we? That's just the truth of it. I'm speaking personally from experience. We're a roller coaster when it comes to being submitting to God in relationship with Him. In fact, if you look at Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, and the Bible says, When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came, came to me and said, <clears throat> Excuse me, many of other people, many of the people in Israel, now watch this, not all people of Israel, not all, but many, and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other people living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. Now, there's two quick things that are not in my notes that I believe God's Spirit's leading me to say over that passage of Scripture. One, this is not talking about biracial couples, y'all. That's not what this is talking about. Now, you may have read it that way a hundred years ago, but if you'll study your Bible, this is bigger than that. This is about God's people trying to be holy in the world and marrying into a society with godless ideas. That's the mixed marriage that we're looking at here. Some of the godliest people I know are in a biracial couple. Thank God for them. The second thing I want you to see in this, men, it started with you and me. Notice that? Men started smelling perfume on the other side and it was over. That's, is that not what we see? Men married in. And with that, guys, again, sometimes in, this, sometimes in my home, I, I want it to be Brittany that has to be the leader rather than me. But that ain't what I see in here. So you just got to step up and go, I guess. Which means I've got to be closer to the Lord so that they can count on me. That's the way it is. And so we can either be serving that, knowing that, or we can throw it up to God and say, that's not how I feel, God. I'm going to change it because that's how I feel. By calling and covenant, the people of God that were to be a separate people, a holy nation by which the world would be blessed and they would know the one true God. But instead of driving out, they married in. Not all, but many, deliberately violated God's covenant and broke God's laws. The law was never in place for Israel to obey unto salvation. I want you to hear that as we begin to close. The law was never in place for them to climb that ladder of the law, so that they would experience the favor of God, the law was a way for God to bind himself to a sinful people. <clears throat> Again, don't forget what God's working on. God is expressing who he is to the people that he has identified. And in order to do that, because we're lawbreakers, he had to give us the law. Now, that's a lot to take in and understand. But he gave his people a standard, a law to represent holiness. But he also provided a system of sacrifice because he knew us. He provided a system of sacrifice because, again, we break the law. But the law simply shows us, as it says in the New Testament, the entire world is guilty before God. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. The entire world is guilty before God. We don't get it right. 
in and of ourselves. We don't get into heaven by the work that we do. It is not what we do. This is the reason that Israel was historically in and out, up and down, inconsistent in their efforts to abide by God. Well, that's bad news. So what did they do? It's not what they did. It's what God did for them. All of these covenants that we talk about in these messages are leading to the last message of this series, which is the new covenant of Jesus Christ. God did for man what man cannot do for himself. God was working all the way up to Jesus. Man sins, man experiences consequences, God redeems. Ultimately, the way that God would do that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived perfectly to show us how to live. He died sacrificially to achieve the holiness that we could not achieve. And when he died, Easter is coming, and he rose from that grave. And when he did, he gave us hope, living hope, of eternal life. That is the way that God has made for all of us to be right with him. Not in and of ourselves, but by faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah indeed, for God has made a way for us for the impossible to happen. Therefore, a relationship with God is not about living right and confessing sin. It's about confessing and forsaking sin and believing Jesus and confessing faith that he is the way that you cannot make for yourself. I invite you today, as you hear this, if this is the first time you've heard it and has made sense in your heart and mind, you don't have to come to the altar. There's something special about getting on your knees before God and admitting before him that you need him. Maybe it's time for you to take a step of faith, and, and it's time for you to be saved, and you know it. Or, or if you need to be baptized and be obedient and be baptized or join the church, these are next steps that we can practically do so that we can be on our way to representing who God is to the world around us. Maybe you want to come and pray today because you realize with the tension you've made a treaty instead of trusting. It's time to trust. Amen.